At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined a little bit later in the podcast by Army coach Jim Foster, who is joining us to talk about the 2022 season, fast approaching, and a little bit about coaching at a service academy in general. Always an interesting topic when we can uh, dive into academy baseball and, of course, Army uh, on a very impressive run of over the last few seasons, I should say, uh, as in, in the Patriot League. So a lot to get into with Jim Foster here on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're here. It's uh, January 12th as, as we record this. The, that means the season is less than 40 days away now. Uh, fast approaching. Last time we talked, you were in Chicago at the start of the American Baseball Coaches uh, association convention. You are now back, and uh, for a lot of schools, they're they are they are back on campus this week and, and getting back in class and individual workouts and all the rest of that. And really, no matter how how you slice it, uh, the the signs are there that the the season is is very nearly upon us. No doubt. Um, yeah, I, I at EBCA had a number a number of of conversations with with people who. I mean, it just kind of amounted to like, yeah, it's right here on top of us. And specifically some coaches saying, yeah, I mean, we fly back Sunday and we've got kids back on campus on Wednesday and we start with individual work right away. So um, they really are kind of getting right to it. And of course we've talked about before how ABCA ends up being a little bit of a kickoff event unofficially of the, of the college calendar. So that's no surprise, but um, you know, it it is right here upon us. Um, So like we said before, a lot of, a lot of work to do, but this is, this is kind of a fun time of year, not just because, well, first of all, Teddy and I would not be doing this for a living if, if this aspect of it wasn't fun. But even beyond that, I find it fun because this is the time of year where you really kind of get to dream on teams a little bit 
you know, you, you get to look at the, the information that we get sent in the preseason and, and compare that with our own personal observations and, and opinions from others. And we really get to kind of like think about, okay, what's the best case scenario for this team? Like, what, what can we see for this? We get to really kind of squint our eyes and, and try to imagine what can be. And so before anybody's had injuries, well, not in, in every case, but before most teams have had injuries and, and before teams take on losses and, and, and things happen, um, so it is kind of a fun time of year to, to play around with that a little bit and try to try to piece the pieces of the puzzle together to figure out what the season's going to look like. Yeah, it's uh, it is definitely the time of year where, where you dream on teams. We're doing that a little bit as we put together our preseason top 25 and, um, you know, look at all the other, uh, you know, preseason components, award picks and all the rest of that as we start building out. The college preview issue, which uh, will again be sent out uh, and hopefully to subscribers at the start, uh, you know, right there at the, the start of February. Um, it's, uh, you know, nobody, nobody's won a game, nobody's lost a game, more importantly, and, and you can you can see the, the best version. Of, of everyone if you uh if you choose to see it that way and you know what what else is is january 4 in, in college baseball if not for envisioning the uh most pollyanna view of, of every team out there yeah it's, it's also like we also understand that this is a a largely uh in, in many cases a futile venture that we do here not to undermine all of the, the work that we're doing right now but you know ultimately some of these teams we think are going to be good are not and there's chances are there is a team that we have not really spent a lot of time thinking about and certainly haven't talked about that is going to be really, really good. And we're just always going to miss on one of those every year. Now the hope is we get, we find more of those, but there's always going to be one we miss. There, there always is. It's basically impossible to, to pinpoint all of that kind of stuff. So I guess that, that also is like a fun aspect. If, it, if we were able to predict it with 100% certainty, that might make us feel good, but it wouldn't make for very interesting seasons. So that is a, that is, a, you know, it cuts both ways a little bit there. Um, but it, it is kind of, it does hammer home that, you know, as much as we can try and try and try, and we, you know, Lord knows we spend hours upon hours doing this, um, there are going to be surprises along the way. And, oh, by the way, we are also going to look at those successes and failures during the season and go, ah, it was so obvious. Why didn't we see it? Why didn't we see it coming? Um, and yet, you know, that's just kind of the way the way it goes. But it always seems so obvious after it's happened. That's um uh, I suppose that's the way it works. Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about that. Um, before we get to our interview with Jim Foster, Joe, I just wanted to uh, touch on your time at ABCA, the convention, a little bit. I know you had some points you wanted to make. I wanted to first, though, talk a little bit about the story you wrote after listening to Rob Cooper give his presentation. Um, you know, the convention is full of coaches giving presentations about a number of things, aspects of program building or strength training or, you know, developmental stuff or uh, any number of topics are, are discussed there. And Rob Cooper, Penn State coach Rob Cooper gave a talk there about changing the culture in a program but it wasn't in the way that we often hear it presented, which would be like what you do as a, as a new coach to a program that needs to change the culture. No, he took it as, okay, the, I was here, something went wrong with the culture. Now, how do we fix this thing that 
you know, is created by players whom I, I recruited here. Uh, and it's not the kind of thing that you hear talked about a lot. Uh, a lot of coaches maybe don't even get the opportunity to, to make that, that fix. They maybe wind up out of a job if, uh, if this kind of thing happens to them, but it was something that, uh, that they, that Rob was able to get a chance to, to try and fix. And, and he talked about it and you wrote about it. And I think we both thought it was uh, an interesting uh, topic for a presentation and, and you, you know, I thought did a pretty good job of, of running down uh, that in the story, which you can read over at baseballamerica.com. Yeah, you know, I, I was pretty pleased by the reaction to that. People seem to enjoy, you know, having the, the synopsis of that. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. You never know when you write up that kind of stuff because it's, it's ultimately, you know, re- reprocessing something that someone had, had, had spoken about, but, but yeah, it was, you know, I don't go to ABCA and this was only my, my second year doing it. I haven't been doing this full time that long, obviously, for those who have been following along for a while. I don't go to ABC with the expectation of writing a ton. And, and that's mostly just because most sessions, for those who have not been to an ABCA, most sessions I would say are pretty technical and are outside of what we would typically write about. Like, you know, there's sessions on, you know, out, defensive outfield play. And so it's like a, sessions about, you know, drills you can run or, or things to think about when you're positioning outfielders or et cetera, et cetera. And there's, that's just not really something we, there is a publication that could do that, I'm sure, but it's just not us. So we're not really doing a lot of writing on that. But this was a, a session that really um, was a little bit different in terms of, you know, what it, what it talked about. And I had seen it on the schedule ahead of time and kind of had put a bug in my ear of, uh, you know, or put a pin in it, I should say, of like, you know, that one might be something worth like sitting in and, and, and really engaging with and, and maybe writing about, because I think it's, it's different and it's interesting. And also it kind of fits into, well, we can look at the whole of the Penn State program and kind of talk a little bit about what had been happening there. And, but I, I think, it really stuck with me and it landed in a way that I actually even more so than I thought it would like it in terms of it just being so refreshing that there was a coach there to talk to you about how he had failed himself and his program and his players and what he was trying to do to fix it. And you're right that a lot of coaches don't get that opportunity. So that does kind of call the herd a little bit, if you will, in terms of who's available to do this kind of thing. But I also appreciated his candor that, you know, Coach Cooper said right off the top, like, this is not fun to talk about. Like, <laughs> this is not pleasant. Like, these are a bunch of coaches out here who I respect and who I've worked with and worked for and have coached me. And um, it's not fun to admit that you screwed up, basically. And, and so that, that candor there, I thought, was, was really, really refreshing. And I thought it was also pretty clearly communicated. There were a lot of little things that had that had gone on in the program. You know, he says, I think I I lost kind of what had worked for me before he was a successful coach at Wright state before he, he ended up at Penn state. And, you know, he, he did say, look, you know, when you get to Penn state, suddenly some, some coaches and uh, you know, uh, high school coaches and travel coaches and some players are, are suddenly a little more interested in your program. Than they were when I was at Wright state um, maybe less so now because Wright state has such a track record now, but when Rob Cooper was in charge that they didn't have that track record they have now, but so he's like, you know, you get caught up in that a little bit. So we start recruiting players earlier and, and we start, we, we get some big recruiting misses. And so I had to kind of recalibrate, but, but more than that, he, he really did talk about just kind of, he realized there was a, a disconnect between he and his players. Um, there was a lack of communication. There was, um, you know, there was, um, 
just a, a generally broken culture and he could kind of his spidey senses were tingling that something was was going on there and so um he described it as kind of resetting and and, and pouring into his players it was constantly collect it was collecting feedback from his players constantly being in communication about about what's going on um he also talked about um hey you know what i i pride myself on getting along with my players and being able to connect with them but if there's an assistant coach that just gets on better with this player let him like i don't have to be the one that speaks to every single player on the on the on the highest level like they might have a better connection with an assistant coach and that's fine like i need to have a working relationship with them but I don't, you know, these other coaches might have something to say to them that I don't. Um, so I think there was also a, a, a good bit of, of le- a good lesson there in terms of letting your assistant coaches work because you hired them for a reason. You trust them for a reason. Like let them, let them do those things. Um, so I, you know, I just, again, I, I thought it was um, super refreshing and, and kind of, um, you know, fun to hear, not fun, fun is not the right word, but just kind of, um, it was nice to hear something a little bit different about culture and the way we talk about culture because it's such a rote term and an overused phrase, but it really meant something um, in this case. And I think there was a lot of introspection there. He talked about one of the most important things being rebuilding himself. I mean, he talked about for the first time in his life, he, he, you know, he told his wife, like, I don't think I could do this anymore. Like, that's pretty, I mean, think about that. I mean, that's, there are a lot of coaches who maybe in their situation would go, ah, I don't have the right group of guys or ah, I don't have the right assistance. And maybe some of those things are true, but this was a guy who was like, I just don't think I'm good at this anymore. And for someone to have the success that he had had before that point, um, that's pretty heavy. Um, so it was a lot of also fi- fighting his way out of that, you know, things like journaling and, and visualization techniques and um, finding sounding boards, um, you know, talking through things and, and, and not changing things just for the sake of changing things. So um you know, if you haven't read my piece, baseballamerica.com to, to read the piece. Also, if you're if you're an ABCA member, there's a way to, I've not done it myself, so I, I can't give you step by steps, but there are ways you can go on and, and watch sessions that had previously happened. So I would urge you to do so if that's something that's that's interesting to you. I thought it was really concisely communicated and, and really well put together. And um, you know, like I said in the piece too, uh, success in rebuilding a program or building a program for the first time is not linear, right? Like Penn State, it's not like they've been in regionals the last three years. Um, the two years after he talks about making this turnaround, they weren't necessarily much better in the big 10. Um, but he said, you know what, I I like the way we're going about it now. And lo and behold, in 2021, they were quite a bit better. So now that the real hard work begins where they try to take that, that next step again, and this is kind of at the point at which they started to flounder. Um, and then he had to do this soul searching so that the real hard work comes now. Um, but it is a good reminder that, um, you know, success is not guaranteed. Success is not linear. Um, but, it, you know, trusting in the process and, and understanding that the process is right, even if the results aren't necessarily what you want them to be. Yeah, absolutely on that. And it'll be very interesting to see where Penn State goes from here, because I me mean, definitely, I, I think it's fair to say it went under the radar last year that they were better because, you know, the Big Ten wasn't playing a big 10 tournament last year. So there wasn't a whole lot of attention being paid to the bottom half of the big 10 standings at any time. So, you know, I, I know like even just from my perspective, like the team, like I, I can look at the standings now and I've re-familiarized myself with it. But if you'd asked me a month ago who finished where I would have struggled in, in to, you know, line it up for you. And, um, 
but making the Big Ten tournament is a big deal for a lot of programs. They only take eight of the 13 teams. And, you know, that Penn State needs to be eyeing that kind of, of success in uh, in 2022 to, to continue the, the steps that they they took in uh, in 2021. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what PSU has has on tap this year. Uh, so that piqued my interest, obviously piqued your interest as well, Joe. What else? Uh, what else caught your eye at the convention? Well, it's, you know, there's a couple things that you can really, fr- from our perspective, that you can gain by being out at ABCA. One of which is the the networking aspect, seeing people aspect. A little bit of a challenge this year with everybody wearing masks. It was also a very big convention space, so people were pretty spread out. But you do as much of that as you can. That was that was kind of nice, um, kind of nice to be in that that atmosphere and, and get some of that done. I also like personally, for me, I also like even if I don't sit in on even most of the sessions. I kind of like seeing what's on the schedule session wise and kind of seeing how those are attended and kind of keeping an eye on that because I think you can get a pretty good idea from what is scheduled at ABCA um, and kind of what gets talked about on the periphery of ABCA, like what kind of conversations are happening. I think you get a pretty good feel for what is being talked about in player development spaces. And the tech is one thing, like there's also a lot of talk about individual tech um, Again, that's not necessarily our kind of uh, story or podcast. We, we do write about tech from time to time, but that's not really mine and Teddy's function here. Um, just know that that is progressing. And there was seemed to be a little bit of a renewed focus, um, at least in, in my, just my opinion from what I saw on things like, you know, affordability. And before it was kind of like, let's really push the ball forward. And there are still a lot of situations where that is the case. But I do think there are companies now looking at, you know, how can we, get this technology to a, a wider berth of uh, players and coaches um, who maybe don't have the budgets of some others. So that was kind of interesting, but so I, I like to see kind of the trends on the player development space because it, not just for my own edification, but also, you know, as the season goes on, like that kind of stuff helps me ask better questions because one of the great unending questions, it seems that, that we end up asking in a lot of different ways, shapes, forms, and fashions each season is, hey, uh, player X or player Y is a lot better than he was last year, and why? And that's fine to just ask it that broadly, but you'll get a pretty broad answer if you do that. And so if we can kind of like narrow it down maybe, or, you know, talk about, you know, hey, I've noticed he's doing this or that, and you can, you can maybe draw back from some of that stuff that you heard about at ABCA or that you understand is a thing out there at ABCA. You know, so maybe those two things kind of dovetail. So it just kind of helps me get a better understanding of the kinds of things that coaches are bringing back to their programs and that coaches are, are talking about. So, uh, you know, mental health was one thing. Um, there were several different sessions that were touching on some aspect of mental health, not just in the main stage, but they've also got like a, a little clinic set up inside the trade show floor. Um, that seemed like that was a, as it should be a little bit of a topic. Um, there were seemed to be a theme of kind of developing self-sufficient Baseball players, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, I feel like there might have been a trend in, in years past um, of really micromanaging, and I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but but every aspect of not just the, the pitch call or a defensive alignment or an approach of the plate on a pitch-to-pitch basis, there were things like, you know, scoring each individual pitch or, um, you know, really trying to dictate every movement by a player in a given situation, it, it seems like maybe now there's a little bit of a swing to 
developing players who are uh, able to react on the fly better, able to kind of um, problem solve on their own on the fly, understanding that, you know, coaches aren't there. They are not on the field um, and they can't manage every situation. So it does seem like maybe there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say renewed focus, but a, a particular focus on that this year. So those things were, um, those are kind of interesting things just because they, they allow me to maybe get a better understanding of, of what's out there in player development and, and help me because I'm not a coach. I'm not an evaluator. Um, help me to maybe ask better questions so that I can, you know, be a little more informative when I write things, when we podcast things. So um, a couple of things for Chicago, uh, very cold, uh, not a surprise. It was Chicago in January, but um, as someone who formerly lived in the Midwest, not as far up in the Midwest as Chicago, but I've lived in the Midwest before. So uh, no thank you is what I say to that. Um, I also passed um, in an Uber from my hotel to the convention space, which was like through downtown, which is kind of nice because I got to see, you know, most of downtown Chicago, just in the various routes that my Uber drivers took to the convention space. I passed something called the Medieval Torture Museum. Uh, I Googled this. It apparently just opened in December. Um, but I don't, I like who like what is the market for that like who wants that like i mean i guess if you're like a big medieval history buff but i don't i don't know man like i don't i'm not i think i'm actually more fascinated in like going in the medieval torture museum just to see who's in there because i'd love to know like what their specific interest is in there because um that just that's a very very niche topic in history that i would not have guessed there was a entire museum about um so there there's that um, around the corner from my hotel, there was also something called the office experience, uh, very different from the medieval torture museum. Uh, it was like, I guess, a recreated set of the show, the office. Um, you could buy tickets and you can kind of walk around. I'm sure there's more to it than this. I'm not doing a great job describing it. I did not also, I did not go. You have to buy tickets in advance and yada, yada, yada. I did not know about it until I passed it in my, my Uber one day. Um, kind of neat if you're a fan of the office. Um, also shout out to, uh, the restaurant Small Cheval. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Um, got a really good burger from there. I did not get to do much food-wise in Chicago, do as much as I would have liked um, for a number of reasons. One, during the day, you're kind of trapped at the convention hall for the most part. Um, there also was not a lot like right around the convention hall. So it was a lot of eating whatever was at the convention hall. Um, but even for dinner, um, because I did not have a vehicle, I was staying in downtown Chicago. Uh, I did not have a vehicle. It was also very cold. You may have heard me complain about that. Uh, so I was not really in the mood to be walking a lot of places. So I did a lot of uh, just kind of ordering on the apps to bring back stuff to my hotel, which of course somewhat limits what you're, you're able to do there. But I did get a very good burger uh, my last day there, burger and fries. Very, it was very simple, um, but it was really well cooked. And it even survived in the, you know, uh, I ordered Uber Eats and they brought it back to my hotel. And um, it was... Uh, it really held up. Like sometimes you do the takeout stuff and it doesn't necessarily hold up, but it really held up pretty well. So I, I suspect it was just very well made. So shout out to them, um, Small Cheval, for a good, uh, for a good burger. Really enjoyed it. All right. Before we move on uh, to our interview with uh, Coach Foster, sorry for this abrupt transition, Joe, and my lack of reaction to any of the rest of that. Uh, but you we have, have thoughts news. on the medieval torture museum. I, I, uh, I, I also curiosities about that but we have breaking news uh from matt brown former guest of this project podcast not project it is a project. Uh, it is a, yeah matt brown, brown former podcast guest 
publisher of Extra Points newsletter, uh, says that Texas Arlington will be joining the WAC with announcement coming as early as the end of the week. Uh, so there you go. Texas Arlington leaving the Sun Belt for the WAC. Do I do I have it right? And you know, um, I am kind of like typing and googling as we go. I feel like the WAC. Yeah, here we go. Uh, they were in the WAC at one point already. Uh, so this is a second tour of duty for uh, UTA in the WAC. They were part of the the WAC that formed kind of in the immediate aftermath of WAC no longer the WAC being no longer being an FBS football conference. Uh, I believe DBU had a like one year stopover in the WAC. Texas State maybe this is all, like all off the top of my head was in that WAC maybe um, that did not hold obviously. So we're going WAC to the future. Hey hey oh that's pretty good actually. Like that's uh <laughs> that's like a good bad pun there you know. Um, but yeah so I mean in that sense like when you said that I was like no okay that makes sense. They, they had been talked about as a Missouri possible Missouri Valley. Yeah, it looks like uh, that spot got swiped when Illinois Chicago got interested. That's not official yet, but that that seems to be the way that's headed. Yeah, I mean, from a baseball standpoint, I mean, Illinois Chicago, good program as well, obviously, but I think the ceiling probably a little bit different at Texas Arlington. Um, so from a baseball standpoint, I was a little interested to see what they would do, you know, in the Missouri Valley. So that'd be a, they would have been a quality addition for that league. Although, you know, with the, with what the WAC has now, I mean, the WAC was already a conference that was, that was trending in the right direction. I feel like, um, especially with a school like Sacramento state doing what they've done out there, Grand Canyon being as good as they are. And now you add New Mexico better. state. Let's, uh, Mexico state, sure. absolutely. You add the Southland schools. They, they got a pretty good swath of Southland schools, uh, Sam Houston chief among them. And now you add UTA, like, you know, suddenly the Sam WAC Houston said to conference USA. That is true. That is right. <laughs> you got to keep your head on a swivel in this uh, conference realignment stuff. But what what they were trying to do um, would have created a, a pretty good baseball conference, and I think still will, um, even minus the um, defections um, as time has, has gone on. But, um, you know, Sam Houston still will be in the whack, at least for this year. So I guess there is there is that. But um, it just, this is also just a good reminder that before I dive into doing, because I've historically done the whack preview for the site i suppose i will do it again this year um i just do need to double check <laughs> to make sure that i'm writing up the right teams because like there is a real risk this year that i either put a team in a conference that it is no longer in or in a conference that is not quite yet in uh just based on all the news we've had floating around there are there are quite a few of those around um as conference realignment slowly approaches uh, what, what seems like the stopping point on the carousel. Uh, Texas Arlington, you, you said it, Joe, like the ceiling is, uh, is there. They haven't quite hit it um, for a number of reasons at this point, but I, I do think from a baseball perspective, uh, pretty reasonable fit there. Um, never, Sunbelt West has been very difficult to pinpoint over the last few years. A lot of a lot of parody out there and, and Texas Arlington UTA has been a part of that. Um, you know, had some, had some real highs, but not quite the highest of highs. Uh, so we'll be interested to see what they look like in the whack where maybe they can um, be afforded a little more, um, you know, just a little more space to operate rather than everyone being completely, you know, the, the, this complete parody that the, 
the Sunbelt West had achieved in recent years. And the reason they're leaving the Sunbelt um, is that they don't play football and the Sunbelt is going pretty heavily in on football. So if you're curious why they're, they're on their way out that they and Arkansas Little Rock both uh, just kind of got caught up in a conference that got really into football and uh, are not football playing uh, universities themselves. So they uh, they're looking for more um, uh, looking to partner with schools and, and a conference that just fits their uh, aligns better with, with their, uh, their realities. So uh, that is that is the deal as we understand it, and, and like I said, uh, the understanding right now seems to be that Illinois Chicago is probably uh, Missouri Valley bound. I saw a report; it probably came from Matt Brown as well. That um, Curtis Granderson was involved in their presentation, their baseball field, uh, which is spectacular, oh, absolutely stunning view. It bears Curtis Granderson's name; he's one of the most famous alums of um, that university. So. Uh, with him involved, uh, just interesting to see his his uh, his involvement there. Um, so yeah, there, there's your there's your conference realignment. I mean, it's one of my great actually. Speaking of living in the Midwest, I I didn't live. I was probably four and a half, truthfully four and a half, probably hours away from Chicago when I lived in the Midwest. So it's not like it was just a quick quick day trip or anything. Like it would take a little bit of doing. But one of my regrets um, is not taking the time to get to UIC for a series, you know, try to try to time it to the UIC Wright State series or something. Cause I mean, let's face it in the horizon, that's really the series seemingly every year. I mean, Milwaukee finds a way to kind of elbow its way in every so often, but um, you know, it's, it's those two programs and I would have liked to, cause you're right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really nice facility uh, for, for the a program with the level of, of UIC. Um, it's got a great view of the Chicago skyline in the backdrop. So I, that's kind of a kind of a regret of mine to not be able to get out there. And maybe there's there's you know can double dip on something at some point in the future. But certainly, certainly from the East Coast, a little bit of a a tougher trip. I will also say quickly on, on UT Arlington, mentioning the um, being a being a, a good fit, a good choice from a baseball perspective. UT Arlington is one of those schools that they haven't necessarily had a lot of standout on field success. They're not a program that's like brimming with just you know, running off a bunch of regional appearances, but they've consistently gotten pretty good talent through there. Most famously, Hunter Pence as a UT Arlington Maverick. Uh, Dylan Gee went there. Uh, Michael Choice, I think, was yeah. a big leaguer. Yeah, that was, uh, that was who I was coming up with. I'm glad you came up with Dylan, yeah. Dylan Gee because yeah. uh, I, was, I was like moving from Pence to Choice without, without anything in the middle. Yeah, so it's, I mean, they've, you know, for what they are, they've, they've consistently gotten talent there. Um, but, you know, it's, turning it into the results that has, and they've always been a solid program, um, but they just, they haven't taken that next step. Um, so maybe that is still to come, but, but it, it shows you the ceiling there that that is the type of talent that, that they've been able to get there consistently through the years. All right. Well, uh, we're going to move on here and get to our interview with Army head coach, Jim Foster. A lot to get into uh, with him as, as we look towards the, the 2022 season and, and talk about, uh, you know, just life coaching at a service academy. Always, always a great time talking with Jim Foster. And that's what we're going to do here in a second. But first, check this out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Army head coach Jim Foster. Army coming off of yet another Patriot League tournament title and NCAA tournament appearance in 2021 and the army is uh looking for another another trip to the postseason here in 2022 as, as it's coming up uh pretty quick here but coach we're we're happy to have you here and, and excited to talk about some uh some army west point baseball thank you for having me guys excited to be on well the the program under you has become a consistent contender at the top of the Patriot League, and you've become pretty adept at winning uh, Patriot League titles as you did last year, beating Lehigh in the the tournament championship series. What, um, you know, just when you look back at last season, how that finished up going to the Lubbock Regional, kind of what stands out to you about the 2021 group? Well, it was a season of, um, you know, nothing I've ever experienced before. It's it was a weird feeling going into the season with the COVID and the way the fall went and the winter. And, you know, everyone has different dynamics at, at their school. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was a lot of protocols going on. And, and it took a little while to get going. And, and I just remember telling the guys, hang in there. You know, this is it's part of the process. You just, you just got to play and just week by week trying to, you know, put games together midweek. You know, there was so many changes and different things. You just kind of took it week to week and hope to get your your guys at bats and innings. And um, that's the best thing I can say is we we hung in there. And, um, you know, a turn, turning point for us is I think we were, we were down seven or eight runs. We were playing terrible um, on the road. I believe it was at – Holy Cross, and um, I remember I emptied the bench. I just told them, you know, these guys don't want to play. Let's go get you guys get out there. And uh, we came back and won the game. You know, they scored 10, 11, 12 runs. We won by a run or two. And, you know, we seemed to take off from there. We had some good wins. Um, got a lot more consistent. And then in the playoffs, we, we uh, you know, we figured it out. We, we beat a couple good pitchers. Lehigh had you know, two really good arms. Uh, the Patriot League's, uh, you know, we always have a couple hidden gems in there every year, and uh, those guys were good. So we were fortunate to beat them, and I thought we were um, a lot more competitive in a regional. So I thought overall it was a great season. You know, a lot of adversity, but uh, the guys hung tough and fought through it and got another championship, so I was proud of them. Yeah, in the big picture, you know, I – can't help but notice that you guys have really gotten this rolling at Army at a time when, you know, Navy is a quality program. 
Coach Kostakopoulos will blast you about him a little bit later. You obviously have a, a longstanding connection with him, but you mentioned how talented Lehigh is, and yet you guys have kind of emerged as, at least the last several years, the, the class of that conference. And in big picture, what would you say kind of that secret sauce is to where you guys were able to get it rolling at the level you have over the last several years? Well, it takes a little while to get things going and put in, you know, how you want the, the program to go. Uh, it's really hard at a service academy, you know, like Army or Navy or Air Force. It, it takes time. And, um, you know, I think John Rosoff, who's a catcher right now, he actually made it up to the big leagues this year with the Tigers. Um, he didn't play, but he, he was in the big leagues for a weekend. Um, you know, he's in triple A, double A with the Tigers. Him and Matt Ball, when they were captains, um, you know, in, in uh, 2018, our first championship when we went to NC State and we beat NC State. And um, I think those guys got it going. And then Jacob Herdebees, who's with the Reds now in center field, he was a minor league all-star this year. He was an electric player. Um, I really think he's a big leaguer someday. And, um, you know, we had some pitchers like Cam Opp and Danny Burgraff and Giovinco and, you know, Sam Messina. Those guys were, were good guys and had some good coaches who developed them. And those guys went out there and developed quicker because, you know, it's all about pitching. And if we want to be competitive in the regional, um, you know, we need a little bit more pitching. And, you know, so does everybody. So I think the development of our pitching staff really surprised me. Um, you know, something I was really happy about. Those guys got better pretty quick from – their freshman year to their sophomore year, the guys I just mentioned, or their sophomore year to their junior year. And once I saw those guys develop and I thought we'd be okay, because we had we had enough. You, you know how we play the game. We put a lot of pressure on the other team. And we like to bunt and run and do different things. I thought we had enough offensively to um, score some runs. But, you know, once I saw the pitchers um, coming out, I thought, I thought we'd be okay. And I'm really excited about the new pitching coach we have here, Matt Kinney. We just we just um, added him from Southeast Missouri. They were in a regional. They were in the Ole Miss regional last year. And he's doing a great job with the arms we have now and excited about the future. You ran off a pretty impressive list of, uh, of former players there. And, you know, other service academies right now can, can say pretty similar things. You know, of course, Noah Sawn is a, uh, you know, was, was a Golden Spikes finalist. And, um, you know, we've seen impressive players out of Air Force right now, notably Paul Skeens playing for, for Team USA. What is it about the service academies right now that has, you know, allowed everyone to, you know, both develop that kind of talent, but also bring in some, some significant talent? You did that, uh, you know, notably last year with, with, with uh, Ruda getting him uh, over pro baseball. Uh, what, what is it right now that, that has the service academies rolling so so hot on both the recruiting and the development side? Well, there's a lot of great kids from great families out there. And you just got to you just got to find them. You know, that that's what I do. I find kids from really good families. You know, I like meeting mom and dad and I like meeting the kid. And if if he's a good and that's what you find at service academies. You find good people. You know, if he's a good kid and he comes from a good family and, um, you know, he wants to work, he wants to get better, 
You know, you look at you look at you look at a kid like Jackson Merrill. He went in the first round to with um, the Padres last year. He was committed to Army for two years. You know, um, he put on 20, 30 pounds and became a first rounder. Um, you know, the good kid, good family. Um, there's seven or eight other guys that were committed to us, and you know, they they might not have got the test score, or they might. Um, you know, but they wanted to come to Army. They might have been committed to Army, and um, sometimes these guys get, um, you know, make big jumps, and and there's there's no there's no um, you know NLI here. So you know, there's a kid commits to Army, Navy, Air Force. There's there's no NLI. It's not like in November of his senior year. It's it's locked up and done. You know, everybody has the freedom to change their mind. And like, if sometimes these kids make big jumps and other people come in and, you know, there, there's distractions and, you know, we've had other schools from bigger programs or bigger conferences come in and try and get guys. And there's a lot of talent that, you know, we're, we're getting to, um, they don't always get here for different reasons, but, you know, you just try and recruit really good kids from good families that, you know, they, they want to work. They love it. Uh, they love to be part of a team. They see what it does for their future. You know, it gives them some great options. Um, you know, it's, it's really about being, being part of something bigger than yourself. And there's a lot of good kids out there. There's a lot of smart kids out there. And I just, uh, it's my favorite part of the job is, you know, I've been at Boston college. I've been at URI. I've been at Brown, a lot of, different variety of schools, different levels, but um, academically, but I, I really love recruiting here. The, the kids are great. The families are great. And I think if you do that, you're going to be fine. You know, the kids are going to get better. And we have that culture here. Now they want to work. They want to, they want to be together. They want to, you know, do well in school. You know, they want to serve their country. They, they, they're just good people. So it's the best, you can't find it anywhere else. It's the best part of the job. And we, I feel like the toughest part is getting the time to, to do it. <laughs> you know, so many, so many, uh, as a head coach, especially there's so many responsibilities and, you know, you always think, oh man, if I could just recruit full time, you know, I really did that at Boston college for a few years and, and enjoyed it, you know, and, um, you see guys like, you know, Frelick and Pelio and, you know, different guys like that coming out of there. And it's, it's so cool to see these guys go on and their dreams come true. So that's what I love to do. One of the, uh, you, you talk about some of the success that the other service academies have had alongside you guys. And of course, Coach Kostakopoulos at Navy, a big part of getting that program going in that direction. You played for him at Providence and we had him on the podcast a couple of years ago and actually asked him about, you know, coaching at Providence and then that program sadly going away after having a lot of success. Um, what is it like now to be in the opposite dugout uh, from your old college coach and, and not only just being in the opposite dugout, but being part of a, you know, a storied rivalry like that. It's gotta be kind of a, kind of a, a strange circumstance that maybe uh, you had not anticipated when you were playing for him all those years ago. No, we laugh about it now. He was really young when he coached me, um, you know, but I always say thank you for giving me a scholarship. And it's a, it's a crazy story because everybody in my class was going somewhere else, including me. And then we played in a tournament called the Brockton Invitational. 
way back in the day. And Costi went and he got all of us to, to go to PC. And, you know, we started winning championships and um, Costi did a great job recruiting. He put us in the lineup every day, he taught us how to work hard. He let us um, be ourselves. And we, uh, we really loved our years there. They're my best buddies to this day. And, um, you know, played pro ball for 10 years, but those four years at PC playing for Costi were really special. And um, the Big East back then was so much fun to play in. I really enjoyed competing, you know, against those guys every weekend. You know, it was so intense. And, you know, when we went to that regional at LSU in, in um, 92, we were two games from Omaha. You know, Cal State Fullerton, Tulane, LSU, South Alabama, Ohio State, us, you know, and Costi was uh, 26, I think, at the time. So maybe 27. So he, he was young. We were young and we were trying to figure it out. And it's great seeing him. You know, I like I like having conversations with him when we, we play and, you know, bouncing things off him. I called him before I got the job here and asked him about coaching at a service academy. I called Coach Maneri at LSU, and he told me about his experiences at um, Air Force. So tried to do my homework. Those guys gave me some great advice, and I'm glad I did it just because, you know, they, they both said you're never going to be around guys like this. And they give you everything they got, and they're, they're just good guys from good families. And um, there's a lot of challenges too, but, you know, it really is a unique experience and something special. When you look at this team in 2022, you have some key holes, key, key players to to replace here, but you you have a lot of talent coming back, um, you know, offensively and on the mound. What what excites you about this Army team uh, this spring? Number one is is the pitching getting better. You know, we we on, on the offensive side and on the bases, and you know, we're always going to be about pitching and speed and defense I think that that's what wins but we have a bunch of uh you know versatile tough kids in the lineup we're gonna go as far as our pitching can can take us I think um you know and I really see those guys getting better I I see you know everyone doing the little things better doing those things that you need to do to take that next leap um so We've been knocking on the door. Hopefully we can kick it in soon and start winning some games in, in a regional. And, you know, I came here to try and get Army West Point to, uh, you know, to a super regional in, in Omaha. Um, so I think that'd be a great story. That's what motivates me and motivates these guys, you know, that and, you know, just being together every day and getting them, getting them through school and all the different challenges and getting them to serve our country and, you know, it's it's really a unique blend of of uh, everything, and it uh, you know when they are successful, you're just so happy for them, and um, they're excited to get back out there. They they definitely love it. I wanted to ask you specifically about a guy that, that Teddy brought up a little bit earlier, and Sam Ruda. It's a guy who had options, you know, coming out of high school, could have could have been in pro baseball, you know, elects to, to hang on and, and and come to play for you guys, and then has a, a really solid first season uh, there. So what, what is his ceiling? What do you see for him as, as the next steps? How good can he be? There's a lot of good players. You know, Sam's definitely one of them. Uh, All-American last year. Um, can definitely hit. 
you know, he'll be playing third this year. Last year he played left field. Anthony Jaquin graduated, who was an All-American. Um, so I think Sam had someone to um, to look up to in Anthony, you know, as a freshman. And now Sam's coming into his own and he's becoming a guy, you know. Um, he's going to have to make adjustments. And, you know, I think he fits in great in the middle of our lineup. You know, he's – He's a talented kid. He can definitely hit. He's got pro potential. He's just got to keep working. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other guys like Colin Horowitz, good freshman, and Ross Friedrich. Those those guys can hit. And Kevin DeBrule, you know, there's a few other guys. But, um, you know, I think we'll have a good balanced lineup, and Sam will be a huge part of it. You mentioned being excited about the pitching development. Obviously, that's something that you have uh, a good background in. Who uh, who do you feel like has taken a step forward uh, that, that's maybe going to be able to join uh, a guy like Malampi that, who, you know, did a lot last year and, uh, you know, probably has some, some more in the tank? Yeah, Pat's got a lot more in the tank. He's just starting to touch, really just scratch the surface how good he can be. Well, you got Anthony Larico who – is that guy who just competes his butt off and figures out a way to to win, you know, keep you in games and win, very competitive righty. Um, you know, you got Pat, who's got really good stuff, um, just needs innings to to harness it, and you know, but his stuff is is really good. And you got that sophomore class, guys like Ruben, Ruggieri, Connolly Early, Tanner Gresham. Sean Dennehy, keep an eye on that class. There's some, there's some good arms in that class, and they they grew up a lot last year. Um, we got a JUCO transfer named um, Matt Ronnebaum. He's gonna do a good job, and uh, you know you got guys like Trevor Fine and Robbie Buker. You got some variety with Lepsio, some submarine guys, some guys who can sink it, some guys who can get ground balls. Um, so. It's exciting, you know. There's there's a there's a good group, and um, like I said, you you need that pitching to be elite, and um, and hopefully they'll do their job. They're, they're young, you know. They they don't have a besides Larico, there really, really isn't a ton of innings with experience, but um, I think they're ready to go. More of a, a big picture question. You, you you mentioned earlier the way you guys like to run offense is, is putting pressure on defense, is making things happen in the bunt game, the base running game, et cetera. And I'm curious how much of that was just kind of a personal philosophy you had about wanting to, to run offenses. How much of it is the types of kids you can recruit at West Point where you're you're probably going to have a little more speed over physicality. Um, how much of it was was one of those things or a combination of a number of things? It's a combination. It's it's something when I was at URI years ago, um, you know, when we got that turf field in um, 09, I believe, you know, it was a pretty big field. URI is windy. Um, there, there are days like if the wind's blow, blowing in the wrong direction, you you can't score, you know. I mean, you hit the ball in the air, it's, it's caught, um, you know, it's tough to, to really – split a gap or, or so, you know, doing, I just always believed, you know, when you go on dirt balls and you do all those little things, you buy into um, playing the game the right way. And you look at your roster and you teach them certain things. And 
you give them that confidence that they can steal a base. You know, if, if they give you something, you can take it. It's not like we force it, but um, if they give you something, we're going to take it. Um, we're not just going to watch a pitcher, you know, shove it for seven innings. We're going to make a move. You know, we're going to try and speed them up. We're going to try and slow them down, whatever it takes. Um, so we've always played that way. It's just uh, I've, I've been blessed with some really good players over the years that have bought into it, you know, have, have been late bloomers and guys that are kind of with a little chip on their shoulder, um, you know, so they've always, they've always bought into it, you know, doing the little things and playing the game the right way. So it's a, it's a, it's a winning recipe that, you know, everybody else can, you know, that keep trying to hit three run homers. I love three run homers too, but they're tough to come by some days and you got to be able to do some different things and, I like those guys that can beat you in multiple ways, not just with uh, swinging the bat, because we, we all know how that goes. Offense comes and goes. But if you can pitch and play defense and run the bases, you, you can be competitive with anybody. So we will start to get you out of here on the final question that we ask all of our guests on this podcast. Teddy described it as the most important question we ask. Um, I will ask it, then I will filibuster for a second to kind of give you a second to gather your thoughts here. But we ask all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich. And so some people we talk to describe a sandwich that they make at home, something that's kind of like a go-to, hey, if I need a quick sandwich, this is what I make, or this is a special sandwich that I grew up with. Some people describe, you know, a sandwich that their mom made when they when they grew up. Shout out to Mike Bianco and the, the Italian sub. Um, some people describe a sandwich that, they get from a local place somewhere that they, you know, they go with their staff maybe for lunch periodically that they really like. So you can take it any direction you would like, but please, Jim Foster, describe to us your favorite sandwich. This is a good question. I, you know, I grew up near Federal Hill in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and they have some of the best sandwiches I've ever tasted. Um, such a great selection. You know, I worked for uh, Vendor Ravioli in, in the off season and drove a truck for them. And they have a sandwich. Um, I think it was pork, mozzarella, and gravy, and uh, that was just delicious. And uh, you know, that's a great spot up on the hill, Federal Hill in Providence, and um, Tony's Colonial. There's some some great places, but the best sandwich I ever had there was there was this truck called the Yuck Truck. Um, at Providence College. It was a late night, um, you know, place to go. And they had a, um, it was fried egg and um, it was like a ham, egg and cheese late night. It was, it was just, it was the mm -hmm. best. Guys still talk about the yuck truck and, and the, um, the fried egg specials. So I guess we'll go with that one. The Makes late night food at any college, yes. you know, often, it it, it it that that is where the nostalgia really lies that that's that, that i feel that's universal absolutely well coach we uh we really appreciate you coming on the podcast talking a little bit of sandwiches talking a lot of army baseball and academy baseball i know a lot of people uh love to follow what you guys are doing so we uh we really appreciate you coming on and and we're uh we're excited for uh for what the spring holds for for army this year thanks for having me on guys happy new year look forward to this season good luck to everybody out there 
Thank you again to Army coach Jim Foster for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, the uh, the Black Knights, they they really have uh, uh, they've figured something out, at least in terms of the Patriot League tournament, but just in general in the Patriot League, like we talked about uh, during during that interview. Uh, just so consistent, so consistently at the top of the, uh, of the conference. And um, they've done it with, uh, with, with some impressive, you know, displays in terms of offense, just they, uh, they like, like you heard him talk about, they, they like to make a lot of contact. They like to have a lot of speed on the bases, uh, never the biggest power hitting team. And they, uh, they pitch pretty well through a lot of strikes and it's uh, it's a formula that's worked even against, um, you know, some, real serious uh, talent in the Patriot League. Um, you know, Navy had Noah Sawn in, in recent years. Lehigh had had some great pitchers starting with Mason Black last year, and they weren't able to get past Army in the, the Patriot League finals. It's it's just a team that uh, seems like they know who they are and, and they go up, they go about it. Um, and, and they more often than not are, are coming away with the wins. Yeah, I don't think I, I fully realize i mean uh, blame it on the 2020 season getting canceled um which is you know something i feel like we can all get behind just blaming the 2020 season for all kinds of different problems but i don't think i fully internalized and realized that they, they had truly been to three straight regionals now i knew they had been good during that pro during that that this recent period of time i also knew they'd been to at least a couple in, including in 2021 um but i didn't realize quite that um I would have guessed that, you know, Navy had fit one in there um, if, if you forced me to, to make a guess there. So, I mean, just really impressive at a time. I mean, you would think in a year where Noah Son was a Golden Spikes finalist, the Navy would have made the, the tournament. But no, Army got in their way. Yeah, I mean, they've just, they've they've done it to your point. I mean, they, they've really kind of, uh, you know, mastered is maybe the strong word because these these conference tournaments, even the one that in the Patriot League where it's really just a, a, a set of, you know, three game series played out over a couple weekends. There really is like a lot of luck involved. Um, that's not to say there isn't skill involved. I, there is, but it, it is a mix. It's not just, it's not all or one of the other, but you know, the idea that, yeah, they, they took down Navy with you know, the best pitcher that's ever pitched at the Naval Academy, no shots to, you know, Mitch Harris, but, um, and then they go toe to toe with Lehigh that has, a really talented pitching staff, maybe as talented as the Patriot League's ever seen. You know, I don't know. I'm not a historian there, but has to be in the conversation. And nope, it's still just Army. Um, so really impressive stuff there. And, you know, furthermore, I mean, not to, not to skip ahead a little bit here, but I, that is part of the bigger trend that we talked about a little bit, which is that, like, these Patriot League teams aren't just kind of, you know, messing around and, and with, with, you know, fringy guys. I mean, the, the guys that, you know, when you talk about schemes at, at Air Force and when you talk about Noah Song not having been that far removed from being at Navy and the guys that, that Army has, they've got, you know, a, a big league catcher and, you know, Sam Root is a guy who, if people don't remember, we kind of like alluded to it a little bit. Um, but if you're someone who follows kind of the draft and, and things of that nature, like it was at one point reported that Sam Ruta had signed as an undrafted free agent in 2020 and then that had to get walked back. But my point is not to bring it up and say that, to, to litigate that the point is that like that's how close that's how good a talent he was that's how close he was to signing yeah you know? in in a normal draft not a five round draft sam ruta may well have been drafted and and not 
and, and have signed, you know, the 2020 was very wonky in terms of the draft and I have no idea, but um, you know, no, nobody knows how that would have played out if it had been a, a, a 40 round draft or even a 20 round draft, but yeah, I mean, it, it, he is a, a high end talent that that army was able to bring in and um, you know, like, you heard Jim Foster run off all those guys that, that they've had come through. Jacob Hardabies was, um, you know, one of the fastest, if not the fastest player in, in the country when, when he was in college and uh, just piled up incredible stolen base numbers. And um, I, I do feel like there's, there's just been incredible talent coming out of, out of all three service academies lately. No, I, I think that's, I think that's right. It's a good point. I mean, it's the, you know, if I, if I had a little more time before we done the podcast, maybe I would have gone back and actually tried to, but in, in modern college baseball history, it's hard to imagine a time when all three of those programs have been in, in better shape. And it's especially impressive when you, when you consider like, okay, sure. Like air force is in a completely different part of the country than the other two. So like, I get that that does create like a little bit of difference in the types of players that, but by and large, there's only so many players that fall into the pool of good enough at baseball to play at this level, uh, good enough grades and good enough test scores to get into these academies. And also, oh, by the way, once that lifestyle, um, that is a pretty small group of players. And yet those three academies have all managed to put good teams in the field from largely that same group of players that, and to me, that's probably the most impressive part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, we annually, uh, we, 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 try and have one of the academy coaches on the podcast and um you know this uh this year the, the cycle went back to to coach foster but just hearing from you know costi and uh a couple of years ago and, and and last year um and last year coach kozlowski at air force i mean they they all say pretty similar things about what they're how they go about recruiting, how they go about trying to find these players that there probably are more players than we realize that, that fit the fit into those buckets that you talked about, Joe. Um, but you know, it, it is, it's a challenge. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. And uh, that they've, you know, it, there's, there's some broader reasons why this is happening, I'm sure. Um, and you can look to, you know, examples of guys getting drafted and, and maybe that's open some, some additional doors and all the rest of it. But the bottom line is there, there's just been some great player development and great recruiting going on at all three of these places. And, uh, you know, army has had the postseason success air force and, and Navy have not to this point, but, uh, in, in recent years, army's had the postseason success. And like, uh, like Coach Foster said, the next step now is to, to winning some games in regionals. They won a couple years ago uh, the opening game of the, the Raleigh Regional, beating upsetting NC State. Um, I guess that was in 2018. Uh, and, you know, now it, it's a matter of can you, can you do that more consistently? And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that. But as, as he gets more time there and, and they continue, you know, this recruiting and this development, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, it's entirely on the table. They've uh, they've, they've done a lot to get to this point already. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if there's, there's more growth to come in, in future seasons. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's one other detail too, I, you know, that I, he brought up that I appreciated because it's not something I, I thought about. And that's, you know, we, we talk a lot about, 
the limitations they have. Um, you know, what's funny is we don't even really talk about weather <laughs> uh, when we talk about Army and Navy as a limitation, but you know, there's also that, you know, not a lot of home games, um, you know, have to start late. Certainly for army. I mean, maybe a little less so for Navy down in the, the DC area, you know, not terribly far from, um, you know, some schools that do play more, more home games, but yeah, I mean, army it's in, it's not far from New York city. It's, it's not a place where, you know, you want to be playing games in February and they don't. Right. Yes. They, they avoid that smartly. Um, but, you know, so we talk about, we don't really talk about whether we talk about the, the requirements to get into school. We talk about the, the rigors of being, um, you know, a cadet. We talk about, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but one thing I've not really considered is, is he brought up and, and I want to make sure, you know, the coaches and the coaches who are listening will obviously know what he meant. But for those who are maybe kind of, you know, every, every podcast is someone's first. So like, if you're just kind of, you know, swooping by this one and you're more of a novice on it, like what he was saying is there's no NLI. Like not NIL, which is a different combination of letters that we've heard a little more. He's saying national letter of intent, which is basically binds a player to a commitment they've made to a program because they don't have that. It allows for a lot more player movement, which could be because, oh, it turns out I don't have the test grades. I've been trying to get into West Point. I can't get the test grades I need. I'm going to have to do something else or hey, wait a minute. I actually have an opportunity to go play at this power five school. Let me just do that instead of you know, going to West Point. So that's what he's saying there is there's no, there's no NLI, um, which is something I had not really previously considered. Yeah. I mean, and he mentioned Jackson Merrill as a specific example of that. And, you know, I don't know the full extent of Jackson Merrill's situation, like how this came to be, but I mean, if you go and you read a draft report of Jackson Merrill over at baseballamerica.com, uh, again, he was the, the Padres first round pick. You'll see he was committed to Kentucky and, um, I know Kentucky signed, you know, got him late. It was that fall. Um, he was he was a player that was not on a ton of radars um, until his senior year, and certainly wasn't on first round radars. Um, so yeah, I mean, like that that kind of thing just it happens, and um, yeah, it, it's it's just another another piece of the puzzle that they they have to work with. Um, and you're right. It's not something that I had spent a whole lot of time considering. Uh, it makes sense, you know. Once it once it gets you know pointed out to you, of course they don't have that. But uh, it is in a baseball context, especially especially a uh, just another another little hurdle for them to uh, to to overcome. I uh, like I, I we're not at a point where I've written the Patriot League preview yet, but I do think Army's probably the favorite again this year. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they handle the, the, the Pat league and, and beyond, but I, you know, just listening to him talk about this team, Joe, I, I, I feel, feel good about saying that they're, they're going to be the, um, you know, in the mix in, in the Pat league once again this year. Yeah. I, I think it's probably a, a safe assumption at this point. Um, you know, they kind of felt that way about Navy for a while, you know, Navy was kind of a default and, you know, Lehigh going into last year, I think, was a, was a choice because of their, their pitching was just so good. And so, um, but yeah, I think, I think at this point, what, what army has done kind of makes them the, the default favorite there, um, understanding that there might not be a lot of difference with between them and, and, and say Navy, for example, what I would really like though, um, you know, I would really be interested to see now this is, we're just talking fantasy here, but I would really like to see air force in the Patriot league. Now the travel would be awful. So like, I get it. 
But like, I would be interested to see because Air Force being in the Mountain West while making sense geographically, um, it's just a weird fit just because they are so different from a lot of the rest of that conference in, in many, many there, there are a lot of differences between the Air Force Academy and San Diego State. I'll put it that way. And like, that's not a shot in San Diego State. It's just a reality in terms of the types of players they're recruiting and entrance requirements and academic rigor, things of, of that nature. Um, so, you know, Air Force has a guy in Paul Skeens who among the academies is probably the best player on the board, certainly the best player on the board. Uh, I would be interested to see what they do in the Patriot League. You know, if you, if you kind of put them up like, you know, one-to-one against its army and, and Navy, just to kind of see what we'd, what we'd end up with, with there, which is not to say that Air Force doesn't have a chance to compete in the Mountain West. That's just always going to be a much heavier lift for them versus the Patriot League for the other two academies. Let's just put uh, Air Force in the West Coast Conference. Yeah, there you go. I, was, I thought you were going to say, like, let's just create an entire conference. Like, let's bring up, like, the Merchant Marine to Division One. <laughs> let's just put them all together, the Coast Guard Academy. Bring the, the Citadel. I, I know that's a little bit different, but bring the Citadel and Virginia yeah, military in, yeah. in the, into the league. Yeah, let's do that. That's actually a better idea. Let's just do all, let's just do all that. <laughs> uh, one day, one day maybe they'll make you the commissioner. The commissioner of what we don't know. I don't know what that would be the commissioner of, but um, <laughs> but uh, but yes, maybe one day I will have the power to do such a thing. So keep your eyes peeled, Merchant Marine, for an email from me. Uh, Already, so I think that's gonna with, with that we're gonna we're gonna wrap this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. You can follow us uh, for more uh, on Twitter at Ted Cahill or Merchant Marine thoughts. Oh, in the medieval, Joe, the medieval torture museum too. Joe's got all of that over at yeah. Joe Healy BA. Uh, tweeted him if you're interested in going to the that museum in Chicago. Uh, curious, you know, just just want to know. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate all of that. Uh, you can read anything over at baseballamerica.com. And if you're not subscribed, you still have time to subscribe uh, before the season starts, before we uh, bring out all the college preview content, uh, which will be starting there in a couple weeks. Uh, we will be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this and every episode of the, the college podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 